Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys, and welcome to episode 20 of the Mindful Men podcast. My name is Simon Rinney, and I'm the man behind Mindful Men. In today's episode, I wanted to talk about footy, masculinity, and mental health. I'm a huge footy lover. And when I say footy, I grew up in South Australia. So footy for me is Australian rules football. I grew up playing the game I love. I played for the Salisbury West Tigers for most of my juniors, before a quick stint at the Salisbury Magpies, and then a few years with the Adelaide Uni Blacks. My AFL team are the Adelaide Crows. And yes, the men's team hasn't been playing well the last few years, but the women's team are absolutely smashing it with another premiership this year. Now, if you're into your footy, you might have heard the news recently about the post-game spray that North Melbourne coach David Noble gave to his players after their round three loss to Brisbane. It was a game that saw the Kangaroos lose by 108 points to the Lions, and in footy terms, that's a belting. Now, I didn't watch the game, but the news that came following the spray certainly raised my eyebrows. An article in Fox Sports on 10th of May highlighted how the spray got personal and left some players emotional. The article references former player and coach Tim Watson, who highlighted that coaching in 2022 is different to the old days, where sprays were a normal part of footy. Tim argued that the modern-day coach needs to find new ways of providing feedback to players in order to get the best out of them. In another Fox Sports article from the 11th of May, David Noble himself acknowledged that the timing of his spray was off, but he still felt that there was a place for direct and firm conversations with players who were underperforming. He added that the club encourages vulnerability and he wanted to show the players that it was okay to misjudge situations. As I heard about this story, it reminded me of my own footy days. I played footy during the 90s and early 2000s, and a spray from a coach wasn't abnormal, whether it was on the training track or at halftime or even after a game. It was what we knew. Sprays were meant to get the best out of us. It was kind of like all those military movies where troops are being conditioned to do anything that their leaders say. Run into the face of battle and take a bullet for your country? Okay. Don't ask questions about this order I'm giving you? Okay. In a way, footy, and I guess a lot of sports for that matter, are the same. If a player or a team doesn't execute as the coach demands, out comes the spray. The aim is to shock the players into performing at their very best. This is because shock instills fear, and fear is supposed to breed perfection. And let's face it, nobody wants a spray. In my playing days, we could get a spray for mucking around at training. 
or dropping too many marks or not kicking straight enough at the goals or even not understanding what we're supposed to be doing in a training drill. On game day, it was much the same. If we were caught hesitating before a crunching tackle or we were giving away too many free kicks, beware the spray. I remember one grand final we were in. We were playing against Eastern Park who hadn't lost all season. And through the season, we were the only team who came even close to beating them. At halftime, we were down by a few goals. Now, we weren't playing terribly, but we weren't playing great either. As we sat in the change rooms, our coach started ripping into us. Nobody dared look him in the eyes in case he sat on you in front of the whole team. And then he turned to me and pointed me out. And I was like, oh shit, here we go. Luckily, I missed the spray. In fact, according to him, I was the only bloke out there playing good footy. I was relieved that I wasn't the one he was spraying at. But at the same time, I felt awkward and embarrassed. I didn't like sprays and I felt sorry for my mates who were all getting one whilst I was getting praise for ultimately playing just a game. After half time, we started playing the footy that we knew we could. We came back and won the game. We beat the undefeated team with a wave of goals after half time. It was a fond memory, but I always remember that team spray at half time. Now, I don't know if the spray worked or whether we just found our rhythm. I would say that we found our rhythm and the game just happened to swing our way. Footy sprays were idolized during the 90s and 2000s, and in fact, they still are today. Whenever you're watching a game on TV and they bring up a legendary coach, it's often with some footage of the coach holding up a premiership, or it's during a mega spray in the coach's box or in the team huddle. Commentators or ex-players, they just laugh it off, and it all seems jovial. It's idolized and celebrated, and it's all a big joke. And as a younger me or even other young boys watching this, we start to think that this kind of behavior is okay. But copying a spray is terrifying. You dare not drop the next mark or miss the next goal. And if body contact scares the hell out of you, you dare not hesitate at that next big hit. And that might sound like an odd thing to say for someone who played footy. But I wasn't the type to just throw my body into a pack. I'll be honest and say that I was fearful of getting hurt. It scared the hell out of me, but I managed to get around this by being an outside player. I was fast and able to weave through oncoming tacklers and out of harm's way. But when you are getting a spray, and I've had a few in my time, you feel like crawling into a ball and tears might start to well up. And it's here where the stigma and shame of showing our emotions as a boy or even a man, they're reinforced. We're told that boys and men don't cry. And if you did, you were told to be a man. And if we weren't acting like a man, we were told to stop being a pussy. And so we bottle things up. These social constructions of what it is to be a man continue to other parts of growing up. I remember in primary school, a mate of mine was crying. And so I said what I thought I needed to say. Hey, boys don't cry. But his response wasn't what I expected. On the filthy field, your mate would just nod and run off. But my mate looked me in the eye and he said that he could cry if he wanted to. I was shocked. Why didn't he respond like the guys on the footy field? I didn't know how to respond to that. But ever since, I've thought that this bullshit about boys and men not being able to cry 
or not even showing emotion has been a huge lie. So when we loop back to the David Noble incident and the reports that the players felt emotional after getting a spray, I was like, why wouldn't they? After all, it's 2022, not 1982 or not even 1992. These are elite athletes. They put their minds and bodies through the ringer for years on end. They push their bodies to the limit in a game where they can get hit from any direction and where media spotlights are on them 365 days of the year. They play a game where if you're not winning premierships, you're failing. And when you're failing, your club sacks coaches, your club trades players, and it doesn't renew contracts. So to lose a game by 108 points, you could safely say that the players already knew that they played a shit game. But to get a spray from the coach on top of that, well, that just adds salt to the wounds. But this isn't necessarily David Noble's fault. It's a product of the societal expectations that men don't get emotional. It's the social conditioning our boys go through where it's okay to rip into each other because we'll supposedly get over it quickly and we'll move on with life. It's the conditioning that we'll take it like a man and accept whatever comes our way. It's the notion that if we shock our players, they'll perform better. That if they fear the spray, they'll perform better. That if we strip them of their emotions, we'll have this team of super players willing to go to battle and dominate. David Noble spray is a product of a social norm that needs challenging in 2022. Now, it's important to note that this isn't the first spray that's probably happened in 2022. There's probably been heaps. Most just haven't seen the light of day. And it's not the first time players have reported emotional impacts of the game. The AFL industry mental health and well-being strategy highlights this fact. It reports that one in five players experience mental health problems at a level that would warrant treatment from a mental health professional. And not surprisingly, one in 10 say that they wouldn't seek help. Why? Who knows, but I dare say that the shame and stigma associated with living with mental illness is a contributing factor. Remember, boys aren't meant to get emotional. Now, over the years, we're seeing more and more players take time out of the game for mental health reasons, and this is good to see. Bailey Smith, Dane Beams, Tom Boyd and Danny Frawley, Lance Franklin, Jesse Hogan or Wayne Schwoss. These are all big name players of today and yesteryear who have experienced mental illness. But interestingly, when players go on leave for mental health, the media reports as they're taking personal leave or they're having leave for personal matters or time away from the club. On the one hand, this is great. It's nobody's business to delve into the mental health of our elite athletes. But on the other hand, it adds to the silence around mental illness. If you were to exchange the mental illness for a physical injury, the media would be all over that, talking about recovery and counting down the days until the player gets back on the track. But when we're silent about mental illness, it keeps the condition in the shadow. Why aren't the media talking about mental health recovery? It's just as important as recovery from injury. It's not until players or even ex-players stand up and say, hey, I'm struggling now, or I was struggling back then, that we get a spotlight on mental health and can encourage other blokes to step up and say, yeah, I've got an issue. And this is important because as I mentioned before, 
one in 10 AFL players won't seek help for mental health issues. It's certainly a challenging domain to navigate. We want to protect players' privacy, but we also want to normalise discussions around mental health. But for the few players that do stand up in the media, or even within the privacy of their clubs, and they talk about mental health, I thank you. I thank you because the more blokes that we have speaking up about mental health, the more it normalises these discussions and it encourages other blokes to get help too. And this is at every level, not just the AFL. It's at the club level, starting with the boys and men who idolise the AFL players speaking up. It's the whole, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me mentality. And this rubs off on their mates or their coaches. And then to the parents or siblings, partners and friends. It's a great domino effect when the players that we idolise show their vulnerabilities and show that they can work through mental illness, gives us that glimmer of hope that we can too. After all, as kids, we pretend to play like our heroes. We pull on our team's Guernsey with our favourite player's number on it and commentate to ourselves as we kick a goal like Lance Franklin or glide over the ground like Wayne Schwoss or take a hanger like Tom Boyd. So if our footy heroes can talk about mental health, so can we, right? I hope so. And this is what I encourage through Mindful Men. Now, I know that there will be people out there saying, well, this bloke is just part of this snowflake generation, a generation of soft cocks. This mindset is attributed to the millennials who were born after 1980 and who are supposedly less resilient than previous generations. But something tells me that this isn't a millennial issue. The National Survey of Mental Health and Wellbeing in 2007 estimated that 46% of Australians aged 16 to 85 had experienced mental illness in their life. That's not 46% of millennials, that's 46% of Australians aged until 85 years old. Another avenue we can look at this is suicide rates. And whilst not all suicides are attributed to mental illness, it's fair to say that a lot are. Data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics highlight that the percentage of men who die from suicide is consistent between the age of 20 to 54. And whilst the suicide rate drops steadily until age 80, there is another increase in men aged over 85. So as we see in both these data sets, post-war, boomer and Gen X are all impacted by mental health. And as such, the snowflake hypothesis attributed to millennials is null and void. As a millennial myself, I don't think we're less resilient. I actually think we're more comfortable with getting vulnerable. And this brings about a whole new level of resilience. It brings strength to open up and say that things aren't okay. We recognise that we don't have to keep following the same trodden path as our fathers and grandfathers did. We know we don't have to suck it up because there are better options than sucking it up. Like talking about what's troubling us on the inside. Like calling out our footy coach who gave us a spray for no good reason. Millennials are not only resilient, but we know that we don't have to take shit. We know that we don't have to feel like shit. And we know that there are better ways of getting the best out of each other. Better ways than serving a spray or copping it on the chin. So in 2022, I'm glad that people called out David Noble. Not because he's a bad bloke, but because serving a spray isn't the way to get across to a group of guys who have given their all, but lost what is essentially just a game. 
Now, before I finish, I want to loop back around to David Noble's comments about wanting to show the players that it was okay to misjudge situations. This is an important commitment because it's true. We all have shit days where we don't feel right and we act appallingly. I do it and I'm sure you do too. In fact, you could say that the entire Kangaroos team had a shit day on the game in question. It's important to know that it's okay to misjudge situations because we're human, not robots. We're not perfect and we shouldn't pretend to be. AFL coaching and playing is high stakes business. Premierships are what everyone strives for. And if you're not winning premierships, you're not what fans and sponsors want to be a part of. But at the same time, coaches can't let that be their get out of jail free card. And more broadly, neither can anyone in society. What we do need is to acknowledge that we stuffed up and learn from our mistakes. Learn what we did right and what we did wrong and how we can grow to be better next time. This is a gradual process. And for some, it could be a lifelong process. My hope is that David Noble and other coaches too have learned from this. I hope they learned that in 2022, there are different ways to approach failure. I hope they learned that in 2022, there are different ways to grow a team or an individual. And this extends to club footy or school footy, coaches or anyone who's teaching someone something, even the workplace. I saw a great post on Instagram the other day from Dr. Jen Hardy and said, a tree doesn't grow any faster when you sit there and criticize it. Neither do you. I loved it. And I think it's a great way to finish off this episode. Criticism doesn't lead to growth, at least to stagnation. At least to denial and shame, fear and hurt. Constructive feedback, however, provided at the right time and in the right way, leads to insight, acceptance and growth. We all learn in different ways. And I can safely say that very few of us learn by having someone give us a spray or even us giving someone else a spray. So on that note, take a breath next time you're about to unload. Ask yourself whether now is the right time to talk about failure. Ask yourself whether there are better ways to address failure and ask yourself whether failure even matters at all. Well, that's it for today. I really wanted to share my thoughts on this whole situation and I hope that you got something out of this episode. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Simon Rennie and until next time, stay mindful. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.